الحمد لله وقفا وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وما خلقت الجن والإنس إلا ليعبدون سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم If someone's looking into purchasing a car, sometimes before they make that big purchase, they will try out the vehicle beforehand. And the reason they try it out is because they want to make sure that it is it is the best way or the best method for them to achieve whatever it is that they need to achieve. So they may be they may need a safe mode of transportation, a reliable mode of transportation, something that'll get the function done for them. So before purchasing the car, you'll see oftentimes people will actually rent the vehicle. They'll go to their local car rental place and they'll, whichever vehicle it is that they want, they'll test drive it. And they'll drive it for a day, two days, sometimes even a week. And they'll drive it and they'll test it out and they'll make sure that it actually serves the function that they need. So for instance, it gets them to work in, a, in an efficient manner, etc. Uh, and that it doesn't have any glitches. Um, and the advantage of testing it out is that they, you feel confident before you make that purchase. Because sometimes when you make a purchase, you don't know what you're getting, you're getting yourself into. And sometimes you'll borrow your friend's car and you'll take it around and say, can I have it for a couple of days? I just want to make sure. And you'll try it out. And once you try it out and you feel comfortable, when you have that degree of confidence and that degree of comfort, then you feel, uh, you feel, you feel a lot more comfortable than making, making the, the next step, you can say, the next step. This applies to many things. For instance, if you want to purchase an expensive like vacuum cleaner and you want to test out is it really going to work or not, most of the time a reliable company uh, or a, a high-end company certainly, they'll give you this 30-day money-back guarantee. They'll say, go ahead and try it out. For 30 days you can try it out and you, no questions asked, they'll just give it back to us. And, uh, and oftentimes people take advantage of it and because they know it's a big purchase. They, they, they want to know if they really should commit to, the, to, that, to that device or to that machine or should they... Uh, because it's a big pressure, they commit to it or not. And so when there's this guarantee that you can give it back, just go ahead and test it out, try it out, make sure it works, you feel a lot more confident. You feel a lot more confident. And you, you realize that, okay, this is actually what a, this is what a, a vacuum cleaner, you know, is supposed to be. You know, this is what a, this is what a, a sedan is supposed to be. This is what it's supposed to be like. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, He says, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ that I have not created, he's not created us except for the purpose of worshipping him. Now in order to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in order to worship Allah ta'ala, in order to worship Allah, as long as there's juice involved, we're okay. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, that we are created essentially to worship Allah ta'ala. And so we as believers, we know that that's the reality of. And if you were to look at your own life and, and determine at what point in your life were you most fulfilling that responsibility, which was to be a true abid, to be a true servant of Allah, at what point in your life? If you were to start from you know, from, look at each individual year. There's no doubt that we would all say that the time where we felt that we were actually fulfilling this responsibility, that we were actually true, um, uh, true ibad of Allah, true servants of Allah, who truly were worshipping and serving Allah, 
there's no doubt that we would all say that it was in the month of Ramadan. And in particular, we would all say that it was in the last 10 days of Ramadan. And for most of us, we would say that the closest we felt to Allah, the, the, or, or even more than just feeling, the, the best we've ever done in terms of our responsibility toward Allah Ta'ala is in the last couple of days of Ramadan. I mean, look at, look at, look at how things have been going the last few days, right? You, we now fast for the sake of Allah. We're doing it from early morning and we're doing it until nighttime. 9.15, we're breaking our fast. How difficult was it the first few days, right? We were sometimes questioning and even challenging, really, am I, why am I doing this? And then now, for the most part, for most people, you aren't even thinking that you're hungry during the day. It's 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and the thought of hunger isn't even coming to mind. So much so that at Maghrib time, we're praying Maghrib Salah, some of us are breaking our fast with a date, maybe a little bit of water. And previously, we'd rush toward food or we'll have dinner with the time of breaking our fast. And now people are engaged in more ibadah for another 15, 20 minutes, delaying their food even more. How is that even possible? It wasn't possible in the beginning of Ramadan. It most certainly wouldn't be possible outside of Ramadan. So a person could say that, well, I'm actually fulfilling this obligation of the fast the way it deserves to be fulfilled. Okay, prayer, for instance. Many of us struggle to perform the five daily prayers outside of Ramadan. The basic five daily prayers, it requires a total of about 20 to 25 minutes total in an entire day. And yet, almost everyone is struggling with this. How many of us have missed prayers? How many of us have delayed prayers? And then look, you're now at the, toward the end of Ramadan. Not only are prayers not being missed, but they're being prayed in congregation. And it's comfortable, and it's enjoyable, and we appreciate it. And not only are we praying the prayers in congregation, we're then standing in prayer at night for an hour, an hour and a half at times, and we, we feel comfortable, we enjoy it. And not only are we doing that, then we, then we pray two hours later again, and we pray for another 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour of the hajjud, and, and no one's thinking twice about it. It's almost second nature. It's like, oh, this, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what it's supposed to be like. Look at your Qur'an, your relationship with Qur'an throughout the entire year. Or look how it was the first day of Ramadan. It was difficult to read. And now people are reciting Qur'an for three, four, five hours a day, and they're enjoying it, and it's pleasurable, and they're appreciative of it. Right? The interaction with the Qur'an is on a completely different level now. Completely different. The way the Qur'an was designed to be recited or interacted with, we are actually now fulfilling that obligation of the Qur'an. Right? And, and so you can look example after example. If anything you want to take in deen, we are actually fulfilling it more than we've ever fulfilled it in the last 11, 11 and a half months. And it, not only are we fulfilling it, not only are we fulfilling this obligation of worshipping Allah or serving Allah, but while we're doing it, we have more guests. While, while we are fulfilling it, while we are fulfilling it, we are enjoying it. We are actually enjoying it so much so that countless, or not countless, but many brothers have come up to me and said, I wish this wouldn't end. I wish this wouldn't end. You, you wouldn't want this to end. You, you want to continue not eating all day. You want to continue tiring your legs and your feet till they swell up because you're praying 30, 40, 50 rakah in a day. You want to continue with your eyes in a book and not lifting it up for hours at a time. You want to continue uh, locking yourself in. This is essentially prison. This is what prison is. In pr when you go to jail, you can't leave. <laughs> You, you, you are forced into an enclosed space and you have to be there for a period of time. You're not allowed to leave. And no prisoner enjoys prison. But look, we're prisoners in the home of Allah and yet we are enjoying it and we actually don't want to leave. Imagine that. We don't actually want to leave. So 
this is what it feels like to be a true servant of Allah. If you want to know what it feels like, if you want to know what the experience is like, then reflect upon the last 24, 48, 72 hours of your life. Oh, so this is what it must be. This is what Allah Ta'ala must have meant when He said, That we have not created you except for the purpose of worshipping me. This is what is meant. This is what is meant when the Sahaba used to begin prayer. Begin prayer. After Aisha prayer, they used to stay in Qiyam. And they would, their Qiyam would last all the way until the Fajr prayer. And then their complaint would be, the night is too short. The night is too short. I can promise you. Or I can, I can say with certainty that that thought has crossed the minds of many of us in this gathering. The night is too short. It's just too short. We, we pray, we have a little bit of time to eat, then we want to worship Allah more, and then tahajjud time comes in, and then and we're running out of time. We're struggling, we're quickly, try, we're quickly trying to get in our tahajjud prayer so that we can then have our suhoor, which is another act of worship. And then, and then the fajr time hits, and now the night is over, and we're thinking, what just happened? Why is the night so short? Now, we're not wanting the night to be longer because we want to play games, or we want to go hang out somewhere, or we want to uh, uh, we, we we play Xbox, or we want to play basketball. We want the night to be longer because we want to worship Allah even more. I mean, have we ever, look at the rest of your year and has anyone ever complained about the night being too short? The Sahaba complained about this, even outside of Ramadan. And for once in our lives, we too are beginning to taste what it must be like. And perhaps in the last 24, 36, 48 hours, some of us have actually prayed Salah with the thought in our mind that I'm actually doing this because I'm grateful to Allah. As the Prophet when he prayed, said, Afala akuna abdan shakura. I'm praying to Allah because I'm grateful to my Lord. How many of us in the last year, or five years, or ten years, have prayed salah with the thought in our mind that I'm, I'm not doing this because it's required of me. I'm not doing this because this is an obligation, because it's fard, or my parents are watching me. I'm actually going to pray because I am appreciative of my Lord. That kind of prayer we've all prayed in the last few days. So, this is how the Sahaba lived their lives. That they would pray one prayer and they would wait, couldn't wait for the next prayer. They would sit in the gathering or in the company of the Prophet and they couldn't wait for that next gathering to occur. They would fast and some of them would want to fast every single day, but because they were told not to, they would fast every other day. Or they would fast from Monday to Thursday. And then they'd wait. Tuesday and Wednesday would have to pass before they can finally then fast again. They looked forward to that next fast. And the reason was because they tasted deen. This is what deen tastes like. This is what deen tastes like. Now, if you look at the major... And, and so, to go back to the analogy of the vehicle that you test out, or whatever, the machine, the vacuum cleaner that you test out, Ramadan is the same way. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving us the opportunity to try out what it feels like to truly believe in Him. He gives you 30 days. He gives you this strict curriculum of what you need to do. And it's almost a guarantee that if you follow this, by the end of it, you're going to be sold on this. You are absolutely going to be sold on this. You won't have a second, you won't, you won't think twice about the month. You won't think twice about what it means to worship me. You won't think twice about what it means to taste the deen. This is, the, this is our trial, our 30-day trial window, where we get to test out what it means to be a believer. And then, once we really reach the end of it, 
then with 100% confidence, we can say that we want nothing but Allah. Perhaps we were questioning Allah a few months ago, or we were doubting Allah, or we had some doubts about the Prophet Maybe these things were crossing our minds, but then we were thrown into Ramadan. And by the end of Ramadan, those thoughts have left us, and all we're thinking is, this is what the deen tastes like. This is what the Sahaba must have lived like. This is why they were so driven. This is why they were so driven that they would pray all night. This is why they were so driven that they would read Qur'an all day. This is why they were so driven that they would wait from one gathering to the next gathering to the next gathering because they were infatuated with the deen because this was their reality of So now if you look at the formula of what Ramadan is composed of. Why is it that we've reached this place? Why is it that now deen is enjoyable, we can taste it, we appreciate it, and we feel like a true servant of Allah? What was so special about what was in Ramadan? I mean, apart from the fact that Allah's mercy was descending upon it, besides that, what else was there? So if you were to break it down, it's, it's really two main constituents. It's two main components. Number one, it is this. It is that the believer begins to suppress their desires and their nafs, and they begin to elevate their soul. They suppress their desire and their nafs, and then they elevate their soul. And if a believer does this inside the month of Ramadan, then the effect is what we what we're experiencing now. Now look, what happens in the month of Ramadan? You're suppressing your nafs, your bodily desires. Your bodily desires tell you that you want to eat. And yet you're forcing yourself to not eat, even though it would otherwise be permissible. We're not, there's nothing, we're not eating haram food, right? It's not like we're, during the day we were eating haram food anyway. We were eating what was permissible, but the permissible was now suppressed. The carnal desires of the body of food was now suppressed. The desire of, of, of intimacy was now suppressed. So from the entire day that you couldn't, that you couldn't have th those sorts of relations, even if they were in a halal relationship, you weren't able to have those. So now the nafs is also suppressed. Then you begin to worship Allah at night and you pray the taraweeh prayer. What happens in the taraweeh prayer? You stand, you, 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 you tie your hands, or you don't tie your hands. You, you stand, you pray, and for that hour-long time, you can't check your cell phone. Your nafs wants to check its cell phone and see who, what, what's going on in the world. Who's texting me? What's happening you know, on my Facebook page? But you can't do it. You're suppressing that desire. You want to talk to people when your nafs loves to talk. It's, a, it's one of the uh, features of the nafs. But when you're praying, you can't talk. For that one, one and a half hour, you can barely hold a conversation. You can maybe get in a couple of questions, but before you get an answer, the imam's already stood up and you have to stand up with them and follow. You can't just carry on. So the, your speech is suppressed, your hunger is suppressed, your, your, the desire in terms of your lust has now been suppressed. So you suppressed your nafs for this period of time. And then your soul is elevated. So then you spend some time. Inevitably, somebody aims to recite Quran. Everyone aims to recite some Quran in Ramadan more than any time outside of Ramadan. Someone aims to perform more prayers than outside of Ramadan. Everybody aims to perform more salahs in the masjid than they would outside of Ramadan. And all of these things feed the soul. They're nourishment for the soul. They elevate the soul. And your tarawih prayer, while it's crushing the nafs, it's also elevating the soul. So this combination of suppressing the nafs, suppressing the soul, and elevating, uh, su suppressing the nafs, and elevating the soul, and feeding the soul, is this combination that results in what we're seeing in our lives the last couple of days. That we finally begin to taste the deen, we finally begin to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way we had always dreamed of serving Allah. We finally get to serve Allah and turn toward Allah the way we've been dreaming to turn toward Allah. And then you'd think, okay, by, so by day 15, day 17, 
your nafs is being suppressed now for a period of time, and now your soul is being elevated, and then what happens? The last 10 days hits. Then what do you do? Or what do some people do? They then, so you've suppressed your food, you've suppressed your intimacy and, and lust, you've suppressed your, your speech, and then now you, you lock yourself into the four walls of the masjid. So now you're suppressing your desire to roam about the world as well. Even that desire is being suppressed. So you are telling yourself that there's a million things I could do right now outside in the world. And there's a million things that people are doing right now outside and they're enjoying themselves or having fun. But yet, the believers suppressing that desire for the sake of Allah and they're confining themselves to the space of the masjid. So now you're suppressing the nafs even more, even more. And you are staying away from your family. And your family, there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's encouraged to spend time with your family. It's per absolutely permissible. But what? That, that the desire of of having relationships in general, for the most part, is, is as a characteristic of the nafs. So you're suppressing that all the way as well. And then you're elevating your soul through all of the activities that we've performed over the course of 10 days. And so the result is what we see now. This is the result, which tells us then that the formula for success in this world is that to some degree, every single believer worked towards suppressing their nafs. And every single believer put in a little bit of effort feeding the soul. And what's the result? You become a true believer. You taste the deen the way the Sahaba tasted the deen. You taste the deen the way the Tabi'een tasted the deen. The way the awliya of Allah tasted the deen. You begin to taste it as well. Maybe not to that level, but, but you taste it. So that means for us that as we sort of exit this month of Ramadan, if there's, if there's a lesson that we want to take from it, is that Allah Ta'ala gave us this trial period and said, look, if you want to really turn your attention to me and come back to me, then this is the formula that I've designed. It's this perfect combination of suppressing your nafs and elevating your soul. And perhaps it's done to an extreme in Ramadan. You don't fast every day outside of Ramadan. That's extreme. You don't pray you know, 30, 40 rak'ah at night outside of Ramadan. Maybe that's an extreme. But to some degree, to some degree, you have to suppress your nafs, your desires. And to some degree, you have to elevate your soul in order to maintain yourself outside of Ramadan as well. If you do this, if you can establish some habits of where you suppress your nafs and your desires and some habits that cause you to stick, uh, to, to elevate and feed your soul outside of Ramadan, then you'll be able to maintain the same experiences even outside of Ramadan. Even outside of Ramadan. So this was our test. Sometimes when Allah Ta'ala wants to explain something to us, Sometimes it's done through wahi through the Prophet wasallam, right? And so, or, or, so it's revealed in the Quran and Allah tells it to us. And, and we believe it, we listen to it, but, and it has some effect on us. And sometimes we are taught things through experience. It's saying, okay, look, if I were to tell you, maybe you wouldn't fully understand it. So you know what you're going to do? You're actually going to try it out yourself for 30 days. And then you are going to see what's happening in your own life. And experiential knowledge is far greater than any other form of knowledge. You've now tested it out. There's no doubt in your mind. It's not that someone else experienced Ramadan for 30 days, told you about how great it felt, and now it's your chance to, now you have to live your life after their experience. No, you yourself are going to try it. You are going to do it. You're going to see the effect of it. And then you're going to believe with 100% yaqeen that this is the formula to success in this world. And this is where we are now. So the last point then is, okay, so I need to sort out in my own life, what are those things that I've been doing that have been feeding my feeding my nafs and causing it to become out of control and, and overtake myself 
feeding my body, my nafs, my carnal desires? And what are those uh, things that I've been doing that have, um, that have been depriving my soul? And I need to reverse that. I need to put more emphasis on my soul and less emphasis on my nafs. And if I, can, if I can do that to some degree outside of Ramadan, then I will succeed and I will, inshallah, maintain whatever I've gained. So everyone looks into their own life and decides, well, what were my struggles? Where was I lacking? And spiritually, where was I lacking? What were the deeds that I need to really bring in that can help me maintain myself? And what were those sins I was involved in? Or what were those activities I was involved in that were feeding my nafs? I need to remove those or suppress them so that they aren't, they aren't causing a conflict in my life. Now, one example, for instance, and this would apply universally to everyone. Everyone can have their own. You have to really reflect in your own life. No one can do this for you. Everyone's situation is completely different. But one thing that's universal that everyone should apply to their life that, that uses this formula is that once you leave the month of Ramadan, you have to attach yourself to the masjid. You have to attach yourself to the masjid. Why? Because when you, attach your, when, when you force yourself to go to the masjid, it, it, it requires both suppression of the nafs and it also, it also results in elevation of the soul. What do I mean? So if you, for instance, a person commits that I am going to pray the Fajr prayer and the Isha prayer in the masjid, no matter what happens. Now, to get out of bed, sleep is a characteristic of the nafs. It's tough to get out of bed sometimes, right? And to do it for the sake of Allah, that, that requires effort, that requires discipline, and that requires suppression of the nafs. So you are basically forcing yourself that no matter what, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go to the masjid for Fajr prayer. That's a time when I don't have other responsibilities. The kids are asleep. 99% of us are not going to work at that time. The vast majority of us don't have other responsibilities. We don't have classes at that time. So I'm going to force myself out of bed and no matter what, I'm going to pray my salah in the masjid. You're now suppressing the nafs. You suppressed it. Then, as you're walking toward the masjid, you park your car and you walk toward the masjid. With each step, one step causes you to elevate yourself toward Allah, and one one step causes your uh, sins to to fall off of your body. Right. So one step is toward Allah, and one step removes the sin. So that's a combination of spiritual elevation and then removing sin, which is suppression of the nafs. And then you enter into the masjid and you engage in prayer. And the masjid itself is a place where Allah's barakah is descending. That the, the soul is being fed when you sit in the masjid, even if you aren't worshiping Allah. If you were to sit down and stare at the wall for the next hour, but you, because you're in the masjid, because there's mercy descending upon the masjid, you could sit and stare at the wall for an hour, and you will become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala compared to the hour prior. Because the mercy of Allah is descending, and that mercy is feeding the soul. And then when you engage in prayer, that's the ultimate food for the soul. There's no greater food for the soul than praying to Allah. So it's simply by waking up and going to the Fajr prayer, you're not only suppressing your nafs, but you're also elevating your soul. The Isha prayer, the same thing applies. So if a person's heart becomes attached to the masjid, and then they make it a point in their life never to leave the masjid, that they, that they commit themselves no matter what, these salahs I'm going to pray in the masjid, then, I can, then inshallah the effects of Ramadan will continue. And there's many more, and everyone has to look into their own life and decide, well, what, where, what other areas can I improve upon? But the one place that everyone can improve upon, there's one place that everyone can commit to, and there's no exception, is connecting more to, connecting more to the masjid. Not letting go of the masjid. This is, where the, this is where the soul grows. This is the cultivating grounds for the soul. This is where that happens. And for 10 days, many of us have experienced that ourselves. So... Ramadan has been a trial for us, a test for us. Allah Ta'ala has given it to us and said, try it out and see what happens. And finally, many of us are beginning to experience deen. And it's because of the effects of 30 days of suppressing the nafs and elevating the soul. And so we have to then carry that outside with us, outside of Ramadan as well. And inshallah, that will help us maintain our deen. 
And of all the things that we can do that can that applies this formula, the most important, amongst others, the most important would be to connect and attach yourself to the masjid. Attach yourself to the masjid so much so that when you leave the masjid, you feel restless and uncomfortable. When you come back into the masjid, you feel you feel at ease. The Prophet, uh, uh, it, it, the, it's not it's a statement of the people the the, the people of piety. They say that al mu'minu fil masjidi kasamaki fil ma. The, the believer when they're in the masjid um, uh, is like the fish when they're in the sea. When you take fish out of the sea, they, 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 they shake. They're very uncomfortable. They flop around. And eventually, if they don't get put back into it, then they pass away. They die. The believer is the same way. The, this is our comfort zone. This is our home, our second home, or maybe even our first home. And when we remove ourselves from the masjid, we should feel very uncomfortable and, uh, and uneasy. So much so that we want to bring ourselves right back a few hours later. Or maybe, maybe later in the day. We have to come right back to it. And this is where our, our comfort zone is. So this is the simple message. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow us to benefit from the remaining few hours of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to understand uh, the importance of suppressing our nafs and elevating our soul. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow whatever benefit we've gained from these uh, from these blessed days of Ramadan to carry through with us even after Ramadan. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.